0: Hey, everybody, it's Mike here, and welcome to my church. <laughs> this, is, uh, this is what I am um, the caretaker of for uh, the next 53 days now, I think it is. Um, but uh, that's not the purpose of our video today. Um, I do want to get into this whole sort of church experience because, um, you know, <laughs> I'm here by myself. I got to talk about something. And, uh, I think it's interesting, and I think it's, it's a, it's a good symbol of, of, you know, kind of what we're all working with in terms of this, this worldwide initiation. But that's not, that's not what we're going to talk about today. Um, you know, as one door shuts, a window opens, and where that window is, we don't know, um, but it's a it's a good internal uh, posture to hold is to be looking for for that window and looking for it in 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 um any possible place it can show itself you know by being open by being um uh uh without expectation and so this series, which I'm beginning here, is going to go deeper into the mystical nature of the Susquehanna River. And there are two, two real reasons for doing this. Um, uh, one is general and one is specific. So, so general has, is, is more so, um, coming from an approach that we don't really understand the nature or a larger nature of this environment which we're living in. You know what we call our Earth. You know we've got we definitely have um, stories that have been told to us, and 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 they make sense, but and and they could even be factual, but based upon everything else which which we're understanding about the reality and the dream we've been born into, that. We know there's got to be more. And as as I said before, this door is shutting, um holding a, a, a posture of looking for a window to open um uh a new understanding perhaps of, of our reality, you know, and I don't mean that necessarily like in this, in this abstract way, but more so like in a very practical way, like, you know, something which has been hiding, uh, in front of us, something which, which, which works for us, um, or works with us or what we work with, um, uh, is could always be around and we're looking for that and, and, and my sense is, you know one is looking from within, you know and and because that's something we have total control of, you know, we can always go and look within. That can never be taken away from from you. But then secondly, is you know our actual physical environment, um, the relationship with with between the human being and and what we call earth is immensely integrated and i we have a sense of that, and we have some sort of knowledge, but I don't think we have an experience of that, and so it is my my internal sort of knowing, my internal like you know my intuition, my instincts is that you know there's something there, and so uh this video at the very least is to in this video series, I guess is to to introduce, you know, ideas of, of of new ways of thinking about what um, what the natural world, you know, what it is, or or the relationship between the natural world and and how we actually interact with life, um, and then secondly, it's going to be more specific. It's going to be about the Susquehanna the Susquehanna River, um, and there appears, there appears to be a, um, you know, there are a lot of indications and signs of this river of having immense, immense, immense significance. Um, and what I want to do is, is I want to, I've pointed out, you know, some of the, some of the historical things that have happened upon the river, uh, this idea of the it being used as a magic altar, but we're going to go a, a, a level deeper and what we're going to be looking at or, or, or maybe the way which what what we're trying to see, that's a better way. we're, we're, we're learning to see. And all of the I'm just going to tell one small piece of of this story because there's there, there's a lot to this story. Um, and I want to go in piecemeal so that it can, it can be digested. Um, but the idea is that there is something uniquely specific to all of humanity, um, you know, all of us who are living on earth uh, to this river. And it's undoubtedly true from an abstract level because it, it's the birthplace of computers, of of three-wired electrical distribution and of globalism so if any of those three things you have been touched by in your life well you know you're connected um but i think it goes much much deeper in a much much uh stranger way and to be able to take these data points and not necessarily like hold on to them specifically but look at them as a whole and to be able to look through them, like the analogy of the magic eye 3D art pictures, is exactly what we're trying to do, but not so much physically with our eyes, but more so with with our inner eye, with our inner vision, to be able to see something um, of a of a of a higher um, of a higher nature. I mean, that's what the 3d eye is, you know, you see like the lower nature, which is like what appears to be these squiggly lines and so forth. But if you're able to see it correctly, something else begins to show itself. And so, uh, we're going to begin in, I mean, this is a fascinating, uh, fascinating story what we're going to go in today. And, and this is going to be, uh, new information for, for people who've been following along. Um, Side note: It's highly recommended to watch the video "The Goddess Susquehanna" because that's going to complement a lot of this um, information which I'm talking about right now. Um, I'm going to I'm going to circle back to a lot of the information from the Goddess Susquehanna in parts like two and three. But before then, if you want to watch that video, that that might be helpful. So before uh, we really jump in into the research, let's go. Let's go. Um, let's go and and reintroduce this river on a physical level. Um, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Maryland, Virginia. This is Washington D.C. This is Philadelphia. New York City is right about right here this is known as the North Branch, this is known as the West Branch, this is the Lower Susquehanna, and this is its flooded valley, which is an estuary known as the Chesapeake Bay. And as we're going to talk about a lot of the synchromistic stuff, like one of the nice ways to ground what, what, what I'm talking about, so it's not all just like kind of like woo-woo etheric stuff, is, is remembering like um, some of its its, the, 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 tangible or objective physical truths of this river, um, because what, what I'm getting at is that on some very, very, like, uh, you know, deeper level of reality that, that this river is immensely significant to the human experience. And... If that were the case, you know that's kind of like a theory. Let's go look at that like a theory. You know, this is this is the conclusion I made based upon all of the the, the research which is out there, but. Um, if this is true, well, then there should be some objective markers which are going to be in harmony with this kind of synchromistic markers. And so we're going to begin with that just, as a, just to ground everything which we're going to go into. And, you know, the first thing is the age. The Susquehanna River is one of only five rivers which is a, that are estimated to be over 300 million years old. No without getting into what does the oldest river mean, without getting into any of that, we could just recognize that this is unique just from that perspective. Um, the second marker, like right at the main source location, the main source is Cooperstown, New York, like uh, a handful of miles from Cooperstown, New York, is Herkimer, New York. And if any of you are, you know, uh, aficionados of, of, of crystals or gems or, or minerals or anything with rocks and stones, you're probably familiar with Herkimer because it is this place, the only place on the earth where these, these, what they're called Herkimer diamonds, this very unique form of quartz crystal where it's got two points, not one point, two points, has water clarity. Um, you know, this is where they naturally form. And so if you can just imagine from just like a physical, uh, marker, like if you're going to go and and like walk around earth and you go and you see stones like this, which you don't see anywhere else, you know, it's, it's, it's an indication of, of there's something unusual. There's something happening here, which is objectively like, you know, uh, uh, beautiful, you know. This is undeniable. You go and take a handful of all sorts of other stones you find and compare it to these, uh, as they naturally show themselves. Um, this isn't a cut stone. This is, you know, this is a an, an exquisite example of a of a Herkimer diamond. But you know, stones like this naturally occur at the source of um, source location of this river. Third thing, as we talked about before, is the Chesapeake Bay. This this enormous uh, estuary of 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 a literal manifestation of biodiversity of life of manifestation upon Earth, and then lastly, like you know, here's another view of the Chesapeake Bay, like right here. This is indicating the size of a crater. You know, this is under the water, and there's indications all over here. But you know, apparently, even the heavens is recognizing that this is a significant piece. So that's, you know, that's real. That's, 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 uh, that's tangible. So now let's go and jump into, um, let's go jump into the synchromistic and we're going to begin with Disney, right? You know, if you're watching this, you know, about Disney and Disney is, is, uh, you know, they want to capture the imagination They're Um, they are, uh, arguably at the peak of mainstream, inversion, uh, culture creation, uh, particularly as it relates to, um, <laughs> you know, uh, to children, you know, um, but that being said, they're, they're very effective at what they're doing. And so by, by looking, by understanding that we, we recognize that, um, we can still, we can still gain insight into the scenario, the situation, the environment we're in by looking at, at, at Disney and looking at clues, you know, at the very, at the very least, you know, they're just inverting, they're inverting a truth, they're, 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 they're twisting it, they're bastardizing it, but when you begin to have eyes that see, and that's both a literal, uh, phrase, but it's also, um, metaphorical, you know, uh, you can extract the truth from, from the inversion. And so, uh, let's go look at some of the clues. We're going to begin with the movie Pocahontas. Um, Pocahontas is, um, uh, a very, a very energetically charged film. Uh, we know that just because it was immensely popular. A lot of people have very, very strong, you know, childhood memories associated with it. And then also it's charged on the negative because, you know, it's, it's telling of history is, is, is inaccurate it's um arguably uh you know it, it's it's insulting and it's it's it, there, there's a lot of anger around how this story was told so looking at it not so much from a from a um from that level in terms of like you know factual truth and that but mostly from a, a larger level of the amount of energy and the quality of energy associated with this film you know this is this is pretty charged And so Pocahontas, um, there are two things. So the first thing is it's the 33rd animated feature of, um, from, from Disney and Disney is an animated, um, film production company, you know, in its most basic sense. And so, this is this is kind of their their premier sort of of product animated feature films and the 33rd film is uh this is a company where where, you know, they're very esoteric and their understanding of, of numbers is very important. And 33 is, we also know, is very important to them as well. You know, the, the 33 club, which, which they have in their parks, you know, regardless of what they are and anything like that. We just can say with certainty that 33 is significant. So we know the 33rd is, um, is, is going to be important within their value system. And this is what Pocahontas is. And we know it's got all this energy. And Pocahontas ties directly to our Susquehanna mystery because Pocahontas is uh, a fictionalized account of her historical encounter with Englishman John Smith and the Jamestown settlers. You know, right here, this is this is our this is our magic map. You know, go look at, make certain you watch the secret on the Susquehanna. You understand who's behind the map. You understand why this is so significant. Um, and within this map, there's there's all sorts of codes. Um, In later version, in later um, episodes of this, we're going to go into more codes. But for now, uh, let's go point out right here this 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 drawing in this couple or in this corner is King Powhatan. This is retelling the story of John Smith in front of uh, King Powhatan or Chief Powhatan. And, you know, this is where the supposed, um, Pocahontas myth begins. We could see right here, um, you know, her father is Chief Powhatan, right here. Um, this is our connection. We can also see, uh, her official title was Princess Mata, Mato, Mataoka? You know, I hope I'm not, I hope not, I hope I'm saying it somewhat correctly, but, but the point I'm trying to make is, um, we're seeing this this story within um, within Disney, or this connection within Disney storytelling, and particularly with a very important storytelling within this map, which corresponds. This map is of of um, the Susquehanna, the Chesapeake Bay, um, and we can see how it, it's connected. But where we really want to focus is uh, well, before we get there is. Uh, on the on the the poster of Pocahontas we see her in a canoe on the river or on water i guess you know we don't know which which water but this is where the jamestown settlement um was and in this on this river right here and she had to have been somewhere you know or in either the Chesapeake Bay, which you know is the Susquehanna River, or one of its tributaries. You know, if you look at it as one unified body, it's it's connected. So um, we're seeing that there is. They're portraying. They're telling us right from the beginning that we're talking about a connection to to this river, to this waterway. So now let's go on. Um, let's go into a more a more contemporary um, Disney film, and we're going to go to Frozen 2, and the, the, the clue to, um, the clue to, to look at Frozen 2 came from my friend, um, uh, Chris Hagen, so, you know, I want to, I want to give him credit, because he watched this, and he's like, listen, this, this story, Frozen 2, is telling, um, is the backdrop of it is this mythical river and it's very significant in terms of at least into the um at least within the the framework of of the movie um, Frozen Two it is significant to understanding um, the past and the situation, and so we're going to go into this with our synchronistic lens uh, which is really a blending it's a blending of of being able to hold a, a logical, rational mind, but a flexible, um, imaginatory, um, freedom in terms of understanding the interconnectedness of, of, of really all data points. And so, um, the key things which I want to point out in, in this movie, um, if you haven't seen it, it's, it's, they're, they're like, two daughters, I guess, and their mother tells them about, about their history and this mythical river. And one of the daughters who is particularly, um, uh, acclimated towards, uh, magical abilities goes on a journey to, you know, to, to write the past, to write the past. And the, and the past here, it has to do with, um, uh, with, with, two groups of people, um, the, the, the people of Arendelle and their neighboring tribe of North Oldra. And it's presented as like the North Oldra folks are, are like traditionally, uh, you know, how we would think of as traditional native people, like people who live in a, in a much closer, um, relationship with earth. And then we see this, this, arendelle people it, it seems to be more of like this European tradition with like castles and kings and stuff like that and and this has to do with the damming of the river you know and you know that's another topic but I I think that's significant um and the movie deals with with like battles and it deals with with royalty and it deals with magic and um these stones here are are rather some symbolic symbols and i think the stones were representations of the different elements you know i, I saw the movie just once um but i just remember these stones so um we're going to come back to these stones in a moment but but this this is the last part of this movie before we're going to see how this really connects to the the susquehanna because it's, it's very interesting But in this song from the movie, All is Found, sung by um, Evan Rachel Wood. And we're going to conclude with looking into Evan Rachel Wood a little bit deeper. But it says, There's a river full of memory, for in this river all is found. Um, Lay the answers in a path for you. Uh, She will sing to those who hear, and in her song all magic flows but can, but can you brave what you most fear? Can you face what the river knows? And so when I'm talking about, um, you know, as a door shuts, a window opens the lyrics and maybe not taken too literally, but, but taken more so of like what, what, what it's suggesting. It's suggesting that there's, there's something deeper here and there's a history here and it's hidden and there's, There's a, there's, there's a painful past, let's say there's, there's a facing of fear. And I think, um, and we're also going to see how this, this really ties into, you know, this, this, this moment in time, which we're experiencing in this initiation. So, um, let's go one step deeper. So, um, where can I move this? The name Standing Stone was given to this locality by the Indians. We're talking about this stone right here, and this is the Susquehanna River. On account of a very remarkable stone which stands at the river near its right bank. This stone from top of the bed of the river is 44 feet high. The stone from the top to the from the top to the bed of the river, so I'm not certain what bed means. Is that the bottom of the river? Probably so. Is 44 feet high. It's 16 feet wide and almost 4 feet thick. At ordinary low water, the stone is 22 and 23 feet above the surface of the river. The lower edge of the stone must penetrate the surface of the earth to considerable depth in order to be able, as it has, to resist the force of water in freshets and ice when in which, when the river breaks up, suddenly moves with apparently irresistible power. So, first off, you know, let's go look, you know, (laughs) you know, we're starting to see this, it's just the tip, you know, like, oh, well, you know, yeah, that looks, that looks like the river, or looks like one of the stones, but, you know, you can find stones like that elsewhere, just, you know, just, uh, let's not jump to conclusions, let's just be open, let's start taking in this data. So, this is describing this stone right here, um, it's known as standing stone, and, uh, it's, it's particularly remarkable when it describes, like, the fact that, how did this stone get like this? It's just, um, we'll see in another place where it's described more geologically, um, as being, as having fallen from a higher point, but how did it pierce through the ground? Um, the Susquehanna has a stone floor, the bottom of the river is stone, and it went through it and it's held so well that over, you know, who knows how long it's been there, that it is able to withstand immense, immense, immense amount of this pressure from the river and the ice dams and all of that stuff happening. Um, Here is, and all of this comes from from a uh, um, from a one page uh, from a one page description put out by the Pennsylvania Department of Geology. You know, it's an outstanding geologic feature of of, um, of Pennsylvania. It describes the the stone in greater detail, what it's made up of, and and you know they're they're saying it probably happened eight to ten thousand years ago, and it's located right here. So now let's, let's, let's expand upon this. You can see right here, this is, this is a map from the same sheet right here, and it says French Asylum, and this French Asylum is this location right next to it, and French Asylum was a short-lived haven for refugees from the 1793 French Revolution, and so right now when we think of refugees, you know, you come to mind like probably someone who, uh, you know, the images would have, should have been put forth on, on TV, you know, um, people whose lives have been destroyed, uh, uh, probably without, you know, any money to their name, without any, you know, just what they can carry on their back. But this was, this is not the type of refugees which this was made for. This was to be for the Queen of France, Marie Antoinette, um, you know, and this is where she was going to move, uh, her and, and, and her social circle, if you will. This was like for royalty. And you can only imagine that the quality of this land, you know, and I say quality in a general sense, but there was something special about this land. And we know it's been marked because we see this right here. And we're beginning to see this, this correlation with, um, this river, with these stones. And now we have, um, we've got like royalty, kind of like which we saw here. We, we, we know in, in, um, in Frozen 2, we're dealing with, with the father who was a king, who was a monarch. And now, um, we're seeing a stone. We're seeing a similar stone of, of, um, of, uh, mystery as to how it got here um and it's located at what was to be the home of of at least how history presents her like a real nasty human being you know all of the worst things you can imagine in a monarch you know incredibly selfish and greedy and 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 unkind and and you know all the all of the things which let them eat cake you know sort of seems to imply though um, from what I understand, you know, that's not a real, that's not really what was said, but regardless, we can see, we can see there was this area with the standing stone is associated with, with a, uh, um, with, with, with the queen. And let's go look where we are. Um, this is where French Asylum is. Uh, this is Scranton, you know, go see the Scranton videos, look into Scranton, you know, they're telling us, they're pointing at this, 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 this mystery of a, of this mythical river. We don't know what exactly a river is, but, but the clues are certainly there. Um, and this area though, it's, you know, we, we talked about and uh, what I would call like an artificial queen, um but this area is also um home to to uh, a native queen and she was known as queen Esther and there's not really that much written about her but there's enough that we can uh we can gather um gather uh, uh some information to make some some inferences so queen Esther was part of the Montour family um which was a family of Native Americans and French descent, which was prominent in colonial New York and Pennsylvania before and during the American Revolution. Uh, because of the Iroquois practice of reckoning descent through the female line, the family is known as Montour after the matriarch. And so Queen, Queen Montour, she was known as Queen Esther, and she was the eldest daughter of French Margaret. She married Echo Guhund chief of the Muncie Delawares. So, um, the Delawares is the, is the, the, the angelicized, I'm not pronouncing it right, but it means like, uh, when the, you know, the English version of the name of the, of the human beings who are known as the Lene Lenape. And, um, I get a lot of comments about, you know, Ross Ben and Ross Ben's work and, and yes, I'm, you know, obviously I'm familiar with it. Uh, and I see these two, his research and my research, is being immensely integrated. You know, we're, we're talking about the same history, we're talking about the same place, we're talking about the same people, and we're, we're looking at two different parts of the same sort of story. And so he talks a lot about the Lene Lenape. And so this is the Munsee Delawares are a, a subgroup within the, the Lenape people. The Delawares are the Lenape people. And so we're dealing with the same. And so Queen Esther was married to the chief. Uh, and then she became the leader um, the leader following his death. And her home was Sheshaquin, now Ulster Township. All right, this is Ulster Township. This is Ulster Township right here. Uh this is standing stone. We can see Ulster Township is like right here. This is where Marie Antoinette was supposed to come. This is the true Queen's land. All right. Uh the 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 people in um the people in the frozen two, the native people in the, uh, in, in frozen two, they were known as North Oldra. So, you know, it's not exactly the same, but it it hasn't been lost on me. This Ulster and Oldra, this, this, this phonetic similarity, um, on a side note right here, this South Waverly and I think it's pronounced Sayer. I don't know how to pronounce it. This right on the New York, Pennsylvania, um, line, uh, there's something which is called Spanish Hill. Uh, SpanishHill.com. Go to that website and see the sort of information which is there. Um, I like the way the the creator of that website kind of positions, you know, the, the lens which they look at the information which they're going to present. And there's some really interesting stuff there. Um, but... Uh, I also want to take this information with a greater lens, which is um, th- there's something very significant about this area, this land, which goes deeper than history, which goes more so to the nature of understanding the physical reality, the physical environment we live on we've been so conditioned to see life through an artificial um an artificial understanding of reality that we can't see the objective truth we understand it through history we understand it through culture we understand it through how we use um how we use uh, in a very practical material way uh um resources but there's something more fundamental and Beneath that fundamental is something which is more um, transcendental and we have we have clues of this by looking at how ancient cultures is related to rivers you know it's still our understanding of the ancient practice of river worship is still couched in an understanding from our modern world but if we can free ourselves from that, not come to a conclusion for what it is, but begin to relax our vision in the same way we're relaxing our vision to see a magic eye picture, then something else may present itself. Um, and as I said, <laughs> as a door shuts, a window's going to open. All right. So, uh, this is where we've got this really strange Spanish hill. This is where French asylum is. This is where the dark, dark Scranton is. And this is where the Queen Esther lives, the true queen, the true royalty, um, of, of this standing stone, not this, not this nasty ass, uh, (laughs) Marie Antoinette. Um, so, okay, so let's go back here. Um, so, she's probably best known, and, and, uh, I definitely recommend, if, if this is resonating with you, research Queen, the, this Queen Esther, um, there, I, am going to go in on the next slide into a guy who has done a lot of research, and he's done some fictional uh, uh, um, historical fiction, historical fiction, and she's a character, and, um, part of this remembering, part of this remembering process is, uh, is by putting our mental faculties to, to remembering this story. And as we begin to just take the information which is available to us, even though it may be incorrect, even though it may be, um, partially accurate, we're beginning to align ourselves on the mental level with this history, this, this hidden mystery, which is, which, um, uh, is being revealed. And it's going to begin to show itself, uh, particularly as you become aligned with it in these, you know, this, this very like, uh, mysterious way. So let me, let me take a quick, uh, um, side note. And I want to use this as an example of like how it can show itself. So part of the, part of the Queen Esther, um, mythos is no one knows, you know, there are a couple different versions of like how she died. And, um, one of the versions is that she died on Coyoga Lake in New York. This is one of the Finger Lakes. And, you know, me, I'm just doing research, telling a story, but I've got a really strange personal connection to Coyoga Lake. Uh, If you've seen, you know, some of the other stuff I've done, I talk a lot about the starboard, and here's a picture of it right here, and I want you to look at these stones right here, and at the most pure and objective level, what the starboard is is an artistic matching on that board of what's going on in the heavens. Like, yeah, I tell stories about that. But I also recognize that a story is a story is a story. And our goal is really to move beyond our stories. But until we can move, until we know them, we can't move beyond them. But what the truth is is the markers. And so I, I build stones on this model of, of the zodiac or of the heavens. And in the core of it, in the center of it, are these stones. Can you see them right here? I made this six years ago. And those stones were from a, a, a trip which I took with my sons and, and my then family uh, when they were three or four. It was one of my, my favorite memories. And those stones were from a week-long trip uh on a rented house on Lake Cayuga. I've only been there once, but that is where those stones were from. And they were from my sons going into the river or into this lake and collecting the stones. And and this was me taking back like a a piece of a piece of that as a as a memory. And then when I made this board from a symbolic level, I wanted to ground in you know whatever the the, the heavenly energies would be. I want to ground it down. And I thought the symbol was these stones. And these stones were touched by my sons, you know, something which can only, like a a love which can only be experienced between a parent and a child. There's something unique to that. And it was collected by them when they were absolutely pure and innocent, like three and four years old. And so I've got that. And I made that five years ago, and now as I'm going to see this story unfold, which I'm telling you, like, there's a direct connection to this. And so my point here is, as we begin to, um, and particularly for those of you who this is going to resonate with, like, all of humanity should resonate with this, because all of humanity is affected by what's going on on this river, this oldest river, because of the computers, because of the electricity, and because of the... uh, um, globalism, um, also because of the bastardization of what's happened with, you know, the Disney stories. But then within these, you know, within these, 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 um, events, we can still find truth. And as you begin to look, you're going to realize you were connected to it all along anyway. So, you know, this is my, my, my connection with this Kyoga Lake. I've never been to Standing Stone. I plan to go to Standing Stone this summer. Um, the other part, and and as I'm going to get into some other parts of this this story, is 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 my lady, my partner, Jenny. Uh, she's instrumental in all of this, you know, both in terms of the research and and just you know, uh, me as the storyteller, um, you know, the grounding which which I experience from our relationship. Well, at the, at the bottom of Coyoga Lake, you know, that's where you find Ithaca College and Cornell College. And she studied at the music school there. So it's like, that was 10 years ago. So it, it it's these connections when we're beginning to see there is this, this etheric web, this connection that we're having with this, you know, whatever a friggin' river is, whatever this environment is like, uh, there, there are 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 tangible connections, which I, I promise. Particularly if you are, if you have a connection to this area, that that you can begin to find your own personal uh, tangible uh, um, myth to it. But uh, let <laughs> me return to Queen Esther. All right, I got excited about that. I like <laughs> when I saw that that Cayuga Lake or Cayuga, Cayuga. You know, I'm probably pronouncing it correctly. I got very excited so um before we get into that so let one more thing right here this is the west branch this is the north branch this is the key um confluence right there this is where we have north umberland, north oldra like a lot of interesting things happen here both in terms of the human beings that lived in this area prior to the colonization this was immensely significant um and historically this is where edison built his first um the first wired distribution, three-wire distribution of electricity, it happened right here. This is Sunbury. Sunbury, what's a buried sun? It's a friggin' eclipse. That's when the sun is covered, and right on the other side is this Northumberland. Joseph Priestley lived here. Joseph Priestley, he is, you know, he's a key person in terms of understanding the the movement of of the the, the Renaissance alchemists but it's, there's so much connection here. So anyway, so let's go back to Queen Esther. So Queen Esther is best known. I mean, she was, she was the, uh, she was a very, very powerful and respected matriarch. And she is best known for this right here. It's called the bloody rock. This is the historical, um, historical marker. On the night of July 3rd, 1778, after the Battle of Wyoming, 14 or more captive American soldiers were murdered here by a mall wielded by a revengeful Indian woman, traditionally, but not certainly identified as Queen Esther. You know, right there, they're telling you, like, the whole thing about, about historical markers is they're supposed to be, like, accurate representations, but they're telling you we're, we're, we're gonna, we're, we're historically marking some degree of, of rumor. Um, and they're tying it to Queen Esther. And so this, uh, let's go to, let's go to, to define what the battle of Wyoming is before we then go into, to like bloody rock. So the battle of Wyoming, the battle of Wyoming was an encounter during the American revolutionary war between American patriots and loyalists. So, you know, people who wanted their independence and people who wanted, um, who wanted to remain loyal to, um, the British colony system. And the loyalists were supported by, uh, Iroquois raiders. They worked together. They got these patriots out of the, um, out of, um, their fort was known as Forty Fort, I believe. And when these patriots came out, they got, you know, they got slaughtered and that's why it's called the battle of Wyoming or the, um, or the Wyoming massacre. And you could see Susquehanna River. Here's the monument for it. And, uh, the Wyoming Valley was inhabited by several native tribes, including the Susquehannock and the Delaware, the Lene Lenape. And these, and these two groups of people, they come in, uh, uh, in, in other parts of this story, but I just want to point out they're still there. Um, and also I want to point out like Wyoming, the state of Wyoming is named after either this borough or the surrounding valley, this whole area, this, this, where's Wyoming? Wyoming is actually right down here. Um, but this is where Wyoming comes from. And so supposedly what happens is after the, um, after the, uh, uh, the, the, the battle, the massacre, whatever Patriot soldiers were, were, were still found alive. They were, um, brought to this rock right here and their heads were laid down. And this revengeful Indian woman, traditionally, but not certainly identified as Queen Esther, like smashed their skulls in and then threw their bodies in the Susquehanna river. That's the story that is being, that is told. This is how it is memorialized on the, um, you know, in, in material reality. What exactly happened is unclear, but what did happen afterwards was this story, the story of the, um, how the, 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 the beating of the brains in of these, of these, um, of these patriots, of these militiamen, was was sensationalized throughout the colonies and it was used just as today, just as today is certain stories are used to emotionally charge people to take up arms. You know, I'm not I'm not saying like the Revolutionary War I'm not getting into the historical level of like, you know, independence and stuff like that. I'm just saying that this was a story which was propagandized, which got people off the fence who were not involved. Um, and the, 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 uh, um, the antagonist in the story is this Queen Esther, the same Queen Esther who we're talking about. And so Jim Remsen, I believe that's his name. He's the author of, of this historical fiction. Like this is some of his work. He's, uh, from my research, the, he's where I found the most amount of, um, information on Queen Esther. And so he says, Queen. This is more of a, of, a, of a commentary, but Queen Esther was an extraordinary, complicated person and a natural to serve as my storyteller. This is him from his perspective in, in the books he wrote. Um, people still argue about her role in the Bloody Rock episode, even about who she really was. I found six different virgin, versions of her origins and lineage and went with the one I found most credible, that she was full-bloodied Shawnee. But was she a killer? There are documents, accounts of Esther being a peace woman who had good relations with white neighbors for much of her life. Some say it wouldn't be like her to perpetrate a massacre of helpless captives and that in any event, she was too far away from the battlefield to the day. So the point I'm trying to make is like, it's uncertain what's true or what, what actually happened, but, but what is here is, is this marker and this connection with, um, and with revenge killing and with a very significant patriarch. And this kind of plays into the, you know, not exactly to this, um, to the, the story we're told in Frozen 2, but there's definitely like a lot of misunderstandings in, in um, a lot of misunderstandings told in that tale. But this is, we're going to go a level deeper because like right now we're just gathering data. We're not making conclusions. We're not saying like, okay, this was this and this was that. We're just saying like, okay, this is, these are the data points. So, um, here we go. This is Wyoming. This is, you know, this is Scranton. They're 11 miles apart. And also at Wyoming, we find the Institute of Hermetic Studies. The Institute of Hermetic Studies is, um, Mark Stavish's, um, Uh, His school, his institute, Mark Stavish, if you're familiar with him, uh, he's an author uh, and a scholar, very, very serious practitioner of the esoteric arts in this institute. uh, it gives instruction of its members in Hermetic arts and sciences, including Kabbalah, plant and mineral alchemy, Rosicrucianism, Martinism, and the Hermetic order of the Golden Dawn. These are the same people, the same organizations that we're seeing, like, um, constantly throughout this story, uh, on the Susquehanna and also throughout the story of what's unfolding is, is, you know, um, you know, the, the transhuman agenda. Um, and so we see that this, this location, this very serious location, uh, or this very serious school is located in the same place tied into this, this bloody rock story, which is intertwined with, with, with Queen Esther. And we see on the, we see on the, this, this shot was taken from the, the website of the front page of, of the Institute of Hermetic Studies website. And we see that, 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 that Mark Stavish is, is showing his, his connection here with, with Guy Ritchie. I, um, Here's a picture, um, after taping an interview in London with Ritchie's upcoming feature-length film on esoteric wisdom and teachings, and this gets interesting because Guy Ritchie, who's his, or I guess his ex-wife, who was Guy Ritchie married to, I'd be curious if he was married to, to, um, to Richie during the time of this interview, I don't I don't know those dates, but Guy Richie was married to Madonna, and Madonna was you know famously known in two thousand and four to chay or to claim the Hebrew name of Esther. You know the <laughs> <laughs> Esther from the Bible, and as we're going to get deeper and deeper into the this this video series, we're going to see all about. um, the goddess symbology and the significance of Estar and Ishtar and Semiramis and Isis and all of the all of the different names of of of, of the, um, particularly the Western tradition of the goddess. Here we see Madonna um, dressed as, presented as, Isis here. So now we've got Stavish connected to um, the guy who is married to probably the biggest, um, you know, arguably one of the biggest names in the collective consciousness and she is calling herself Esther just, you know, where this guy who is deeply, deeply connected into, like, these esoteric realms whatever that may be you know i'm not practicing you know i i research this stuff but i don't i don't I've got a mat. I've got a. I've got an understanding of, of reality, which may be considered um, um, magical. But I'm certainly not. I do not participate in in what's known as magical operations. But I recognize that exists, and I find it interesting uh, to understand reality by studying those who do. And this is someone who is, you know, a scholar and an expert. And he is, you know, at the place of Queen Esther. And and as we saw before, Queen Esther is the true matriarch, the true monarch of this oldest river. So, um, and even more interesting, so so Madonna is tying her name, you know, Esther is a complicated concept because on the surface she's tying her name with Queen Esther of the Bible, and Queen Esther of the Bible is tied to the story of Purim, Purim is a revenge-killing story, uh, you know, it's not necessarily couched in those terms, but if you actually go and see what Purim's all about, you know, it's about revenge-killing. And um, if you dig a little bit deeper, you go and you see that the Purim story and the story of Queen Esther is actually just a retelling of the Sumerian tale of Marduk and Tiamat and if you watch the 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 goddess susquehanna and i'm going to talk this in 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 future episodes there is a direct correlation between three mile island tmi you know uh, if you don't know what that is it's the nuclear meltdown that happened on the susquehanna 40 years ago you know tmi and tiamat you know there is a similarity so we're seeing over and over again, again, in this mythological, you know, unexplainable connection of like this, this really kind of like complex, uh, history of, of, of like murder and revenge killing and, 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 you know, all of this kind of nastiness uh, which human beings have done upon each other, you know, that's what, that's what this movie is about, and that's what everything else which, which we're seeing connected with it, um, also tied into, uh, also tied into the, the Queen Esther mythos is this ghost of Queen Esther and the curse of Queen Esther. I contacted, um, uh, Jim Remsen, I exchanged some emails with him, the guy who who did this research, and I asked him if he was familiar with with anything of this, you know, the the Queen Esther curse or, um, or the ghost of Queen Esther. And um, you know, I wasn't certain like how 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 out there he likes to get. I always try to couch my stuff is is. Um, is my questions when going out into the regular world, uh, is, is normally as possible. And he said that he has found no evidence to suggest that people ever believed in a curse or that there's, you know, anything associated with it, but nonetheless, it has taken form. This curse has taken form at least in the, the realm of Wikipedia. You know, there's a certain level of reality where Wikipedia is real. You know, I'm not saying it's the ultra it's, it's an authentic reality, but it's a reality nonetheless. And in that reality, we see that there's this curse of Queen Esther. And interestingly, like what, what the curse is about is, um, is having weapons, uh, not being able to fire, which, um, to me is, um, you know, it's, it's, (laughs) it's a good curse. Um, it's not, it's not this vengeful killing curse and, and, um, that is at the end of the day, you know, for me, me personally is, is, is I like human beings. Like, I, I, I don't believe that it is our true nature to be at each other's throats the way that, that it is being pushed and presented right now. I've, that is a learned behavior, it is learned one way or the other, and I do not believe it's our true nature. Um, you know, it's part of my understanding and what I align to during this time of, of mass initiation. And one of the reasons I'm so excited about, you know, what is, what is, um, being hinted at within this, this, this unveiling of, uh, of the Susquehanna mystery here. Um, so now I'm going to wrap up this final section on this really, really wild, um, this this really wild and complex um element into this Susquehanna synchromistic mystery. And this is this is all the work of of Jenny. She did this she she made these connections and it's fascinating. So um, let's go back here. Let's go back to, to Frozen 2. This is Frozen 2. It's, 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 you know, the story of a mythical river told by their mother to contain all explanations of the past. Okay. And this song the song kind of hints it's like you know and and everything is interconnected it's like it's not one storyline what we're beginning to see is through history and through through symbology and synchro mysticism through personal experience you know we're all connected to this oldest river this river which is marked by the Herkimer diamond and marked by the by the craters like we're all connected to it and you know I'm not saying this was done consciously I'm saying that what we're looking at is the ability to find truth within an inversion put out by the B system disney itself you know that's what that's what we're doing here this is this is the window this is the window opening And, and so we see that you know the 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 song the song here is is providing guidance and the song is sung by the mother and the actress who played the mother is evan rachel wood so let's go look at Evan Rachel Wood, you know. Um we see right here she plays Iduna, maybe I'm pronounced that correctly, the mother of Elsa and Anna. And it was um it's she who who clues you into this mystery. And so now is <laughs> where <laughs> now it's gonna get weird um and complex and it's like you know and and overlapping so evan rachel wood is also um the the character dolores abernathy from the westwood west world you know i haven't really watched that i've seen a couple episodes um series and from what you know from what from what i've i've learned from 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 what from uh This, um, from looking into this, this, this show, this Westworld, which is really significant right now. And I'll tell you why in a moment that this character, this Dolores Abernathy is significant because she is, it's all about AI, right? That's what, that's what, um, that's what, uh, um, Westworld is about. And she, this character is the first AI. She was the first host and from her, all other hosts are based. She is the mother. You know, think about that synchronistically, think about that symbolically, the same mother who is the revealing of the story, the true story of the river and the reclaiming of, you know, of, of this like nasty piece of history, you know, this Queen Esther history is, um, is also, you know, and the same, at the same time, she's also the mother of AI, um, the reason why Westwood is so so significant, I'm gonna give you two reasons why Westwood is so significant right now. So Westwood season three, uh it 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 was released or debuted um March fifteenth, twenty twenty. Uh, which coincides exactly with March 13th. This was Friday the 13th. In my opinion, this was the marker. This was the, the Friday the 13th of this particular time of when the United States, President Trump, declared a national emergency. And so two days later, then Westwood is um, is released. And so the timing of these two is really significant. Uh, the second season was, um, so this is the third season. The second season happened two years earlier and its first episode was released on April 22nd, which just so happened to coincide with the funeral of Barbara Bush. And for those of you who, you know, you know that means something to you. Uh, you know if you know some of those stories, uh, that's kind of interesting. But but that's not. Um, I want to go down this line more so about the AI line. You know this here is Sophia. If you're familiar with Sophia, the first um, AI global citizen. Uh, there's a there's a real interesting um, similarity in terms of looks between between uh, the the Evan Rachel Wood character and and Sophia right here. And we can go a little bit deeper with Sophia if you want. We could see that Sophia was actually, um, she was modeled after the Egyptian Queen Nefertiti. We keep coming back to these queens. And who was Queen Nefertiti? Queen Nefertiti, uh, she was the, she was the, the queen, or or the wife of, um, of King Tut, I believe, uh, but she took the position of Isis, and she became the embodiment of the goddess Isis. And so as we're going to see in all of the other videos, as you watch, like the, as you watch the, the, the goddess video, um, the goddess Susquehanna video, you're going to see the significant From the very beginning, from this map right here, this river... And this warrior, this Susquehanna warrior, who, uh, who is actually a goddess, she's a, she's a female, um, is tied directly to the cult of Isis through what's on her neck, um, So we see Sophia, who is obviously a synchro, uh, or connects directly with, with this Dolores character, is, it's all going back to goddess, 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 and goddess is connected to the river. Also interesting, right here, Sophia, activated on February fourteenth, two um, thousand and sixteen. Eniac, you know, the first computer, the first computer which we find located on the Susquehanna River. It was dedicated. It was released to the public um, on February fifteenth. This this Lupercalius, that is the state. That's why it's so significant. Um, and so let's round it up with this because we're talking about AI. And so probably the most the most powerful first introduction of AI into the collective consciousness is HAL Nine Thousand, the the fictional artificial intelligence character and the main antagonist of Arthur C. Clarke's Space Odyssey. Um, uh, appearing in the the 1968 film 2001 uh, space odyssey so now we're dealing with all of this like re- this other like really tangible like uh uh touch points of where we are in reality you know 2001 september 11th stanley kubrick eyes wide shut all of this stuff fake nasa moon landings all of that sort of things and how, and so Hal is. you know, the question has been put forth, um, in the documentary room 237, you know, they, they put out the idea that how is, is a hint or a nod at IBM, you know, just move the letters, each of these letters forward, one letter, H becomes I, A becomes B, and L becomes M, IBM, and so why is, why is IBM significant? Well, ibm uh or endicott new york is the best known as the birthplace of ibm this is endicott new york right here let's right here there's standing stone right here this is where queen queen esther was right here this is wyoming this is where where you know bloody rock was right here this is where spanish hill is you look closely here's endicott if you look you could see right here this blue line what is that blue line it's the susquehanna river right here, birthplace of IBM, birthplace of AI, you know, symbolically, right here, birthplace of of the computer industry, of ENIAC, all on the same river, all connected in the strangest, most un, um, <laughs> unexplainable way. So, as I end this first version or this first episode right here of, of the great Susquehanna mystery, um, I want to reiterate, release the desire to, to really um, lock this down into a story. What we're trying to do is see all of these different data points so that we can relax our vision and see through them and see the higher dimensional image, which is going to be coming out from it. Um, It's a lot to take in and it is going to require a, a new use of understanding all of our faculties. And it's also going to be pointing at a new understanding of exactly what this environment we call Earth is. Yes, we're beneath the heavens, but the Earth is underneath our feet. And there's more to this than we could ever imagine. All right, so until the next one, this is Mike checking out. If this video is uh, if it resonates with you, please share it with other people who will resonate with, add your comments, uh, other information. This is a group project. This is, this is, um, this is an unveiling and a re-understanding which affects us all. This is an awakening from a dream which we don't even understand how deep the dream goes. Uh, for more, for more information, go to the, or, and and more tools, go to the susquehannaalchemy.com. Uh, check out, um, some of the services I have there, particularly the starboard light services. I'm currently helping people understand how their personal journey ties in directly to the heavens and what's going on right now in this worldwide initiation. Thanks a lot. And, uh, until the next time.